Tonight, defendant Trump on the attack after yesterday's arraignment and the brand new request from Jack Smith and the DOJ in response to a Trump post. And Republicans on the campaign trail are ever so slightly changing their tune on the former president. What it all means with the first votes just five months away. Then music superstar Lizzo, known for her body positivity messaging, now accused of creating a hostile work environment. What both sides are saying as the 11th hour gets underway on this Friday night. Good evening once again. I'm Stephanie Rule. As Donald Trump's legal problems continue to grow, Democrats are making a big push for transparency. More than three dozen House Democrats called for cameras in the courtroom during the DOG's cases against Trump. It is something Trump's own attorney was asking for just a few weeks ago. The first thing we would ask for is let's have let's have cameras in the courtroom so all Americans can see mm. what's happening in our criminal justice system. And I would right. hope the Department of Justice would join in that effort so that we, we take the curtain away and all Americans get to see what's happening. Earlier today, our friend Neil Katayal laid out the importance of having those cameras in the courtroom. Here's why. Don't underestimate Donald Trump's ability to try and, you know, say stuff outside of court and his, you know, his party and his lawyers and so many others, all of which can undermine the decorum anyway. The best check on that, this is something one of our greatest justices, Louis Brandeis said, sunlight is the best disinfectant. Let the American people see this trial for themselves day in and day out and make their own determinations. We shouldn't be, you know, relegated to secondhand descriptions and some courtroom sketches of what's going on in that courtroom. Meanwhile, the former president launched a threatening post on his social media site earlier today, writing this. If you go after me, I'm coming after you. Just a few hours later, prosecutors proposed a protective order citing that very truth social post. They're asking the judge to stop Trump from sharing sensitive documents with the public turned over by prosecutors. This all happened less than 24 hours after the judge directly warned him that bribing, influencing, or retaliating against witnesses is a crime. And tonight at a campaign event in the state of Alabama, he went after the special counsel. But despite the demented prosecution of our movement by our corrupt and highly partisan Department of Injustice and deranged Jack Smith, doesn't he look deranged? You see the picture with the purple robe? He's a deranged human being. We're getting stronger by the day. Somebody said, you should treat him nicer. Maybe he'd be nice. Let me tell you, this guy is a lost soul. The Republicans better get tough and they better get smart because most of them look like a bunch of weak jerks right now. And you got to get tough and smart and you have to fight fire with fire. You can't allow this to go on. Quick asterisk, Department of Injustice. The majority of things laid out in this indictment came directly from the January 6th hearings. And reminder, almost all of those witnesses were Republicans. And despite spending the evening in nearby Alabama, the former president did not appear in Florida today for the superseding indictment arraignment in the classified documents case. Instead, he entered a not guilty plea through his attorneys. Whew, we got a lot to cover tonight, so let's get smarter with the help of our lead off panel this evening. Glenn Thrush is here, Justice Department reporter for The New York Times 
Katie Benner, Pulitzer Prize winning reporter, also with The Times, and former federal prosecutor Glenn Kirshner. Mr. Kirshner, I turn to you first. What can you tell us about this proposed protective order? Because it's citing that threatening social media post from Trump, but it's talking about documents not going after witnesses. Yeah, the protective order is something we've seen before. It's actually not unusual when we're turning over discovery to the defense. I wish Jack Smith had gone farther because I was in court yesterday, albeit in the overflow courtroom, watching a live feed. And I saw the judge say what I'm now reading from the transcript. Sir, I want to remind you that it's a crime to try to influence a juror, threaten a witness, retaliate against anyone, obstruct the administration of justice. And Donald Trump, not 24 hours later, does arguably precisely that in that post. There's something called a show cause order, Steph. Anytime somebody is on court supervision, either as a pretrial defendant pending trial or somebody who's on probation after conviction, if they violate a condition of release set by the court, ordinarily a show cause order is issued. A show cause order is when the judge demands that the defendant through counsel show cause as to why a potential violation of a condition of release should not result in remand to custody. Stepping back. I hope at some point people realize that we are sacrificing the due administration of justice to Donald Trump's dangerous rhetoric, his reckless speech, you know, his intimidating conduct. At some point, the court needs to act, the prosecution needs to act, and they need to consider that this man continues to be a danger to the community and they should consider pretrial detention. I don't know that we're there yet, but I think we're getting closer and closer, Steph. Why aren't we there yet? I mean, she made it really clear. Do not mess with witnesses. And 24 hours later, he says, you go after me and I'm coming for you. That's a threat. My opinion, we are not there yet because we still have a a two tiered system of justice. We don't do particularly well holding accountable what I call the ruling class criminals, the people of power and influence with connections. We do pretty well holding, you know, the folks who have no power, have no influence, have no connections and have no wealth accountable, even for minor crimes. We just don't seem to be interested in or have an appetite for treating the ruling class the same. All right, Katie, what is your take on this proposed protective order? Should we be surprised? Well, I don't think you should be surprised in part because in the protective order, uh, the Justice Department, Jack Smith, lays out that they had intended to file a protective a protective order all along. They are now just including this tweet showing how threatening it is. And I understand what Glenn is saying, that he would like things to go a little bit further. But I would note that in the protective order, the Justice Department makes clear that among the materials that will be turned over in discovery, uh, that the defense has said that it needs in order to proceed with its own defense and its own and its own preparation, are the names of witnesses, are other grand jury materials that could show who was talking to the Justice Department, and that these names, these identities, even the identities of people who worked on the case, these people who worked on the filter teams looking at the evidence, these are things that the Justice Department does call out and say, clearly, if they give these to the defense, that these things need to be treated very carefully, and that the defendant, Donald Trump, is not even allowed to have copies of many of these materials of his own. He can only look at them when he's with his lawyers, in part because they fear that these names could get out into the public. 
All right, Mr. Thrush, let's talk about this new push to get cameras in the courtroom. Even Donald Trump's lawyer says he wants them there. What are the chances it happens? I don't know. I think I think there is uh, we're going to see now that we're actually in the middle of this process, whether or not uh, Trump's team is going to go for it, because uh, what's notable is one of the one of the members of Congress who's been pushing for this is Adam Schiff, who was obviously involved in the January 6th committee. So there is a sense that if you present the same evidence uh, in a more compelling environment, actually, than in Congress, that it will actually benefit the Democrats. So I think Trump says a lot of things up front and then backtracks. But I want to address this whole dynamic in general. Today is what we are going to see. Donald Trump uh, understands very well the steep odds that he faces within the courtroom. His best chance, in his, in his view, is to wage war against this entire process. We are entering into a very difficult and potentially dangerous uh, moment in American history, where we have uh, an empowered frontrunner for the presidential nomination for the Republican Party, who is not merely at war with the political opposition, but is now at war with the law enforcement establishment of the United States. So I think people should realize that this is what we're going to see. And in terms of, to address the other Glenn's <laughs> comment about why, uh, about locking him up on this. I can tell you from my conversations with folks over at the Justice Department that this is the last thing they want. They don't want to rise to the bait. This protective order, as Katie said, was in the works already. They included it so that they could have on the record that they noticed that this happened and to put, put him on a little bit of mourning. But they do not want to play into Trump's hands and turn this into a situation where, where he could be gagged inside of a jail cell. That is the worst outcome uh, for the Justice Department. Counselor Kushner, I see you nodding your head. Yeah, I mean, we can certainly um, come at danger with appeasement. I understand that. 30 years when I had the evidence that somebody was a clear and convincing danger to the community or a flight risk, or as we are now one step closer, if they refuse to abide by conditions of release, you apply the rule of law without fear or favor. Donald Trump has had the rule of law applied with favor for far too long, which is precisely why we are here. And I think matters will get worse. Stefan, your lead in, I heard Donald Trump say they are prosecuting our movement. Not that they're prosecuting him. That's the message that they will be sending every day unless law enforcement does what the law allows. All right, Mr. Thrush, we're watching Trump test out these defenses like freedom of speech, turning and saying I was relying on my lawyers. Neither of these defenses hold up in a court of law. So what is he really doing? Is he trying to win over the court of public opinion? Because in truth, the defense he's banking on more than anything is getting reelected. Oh, and delaying, right? I think spaghetti meat wall. <laughs> Everything that he can throw at this, he will throw at this. And I think, you know, uh, apart from, from sort of the, the constitutional legal arguments that his team is going to make, I think John Loro, his lawyer in court uh, yesterday, and I was in the courtroom, it was an extraordinary moment, uh, 
spent a fair amount of time sort of uh, wheedling with the magistrate, talking about how much time was required. The government, he said incorrectly, the government had had three and a half years to investigate Trump. Why are we only getting 90 days under the speedy trial provision? So I think the principal strategy here is going to be to delay, delay, delay. Okay, Katie, I'm sorry to do this to you, but I think I'm giving you the most difficult question of the night. Yesterday, Trump complained on camera, and today he did it on social media, complaining about the filth of Washington, D.C. Does this man not need to win over D.C. jurors? What what, what is this getting him? D.C. is filthy and disgusting. Please find me not guilty. I don't get it. I don't think there's anything that Donald Trump could say to uh, woo many, many D.C. jurors at this point. And he is a man who won the presidency based on the campaign slogan or based in part on the campaign slogan, draining the swamp. So I think that Trump is really just being Trump in this moment. This is a jury pool that people have talked a lot about. They've said already is sort of, you know, if you look if you look demographically, perhaps not going to work out in his favor. But I think that what we're going to see is rhetoric like this. You know, this is sort of a a light example, but some of Trump's rhetoric is actually going to start undercutting his ability for his lawyers to defend him. Because not only will he insult the jury pool, he'll start to try to feed misinformation, disinformation, false information into the public. And he'll make statements that one cannot be made by his lawyers in court because lawyers cannot say things that are untrue in court without facing severe consequences. And two, that the judge might even take issue with, which could bring him more problems down the line. So yes, of course, calling DC filthy and insulting the city is probably not the best way to woo voters. There are other bigger problems with Trump's rhetorics, with Trump's rhetoric that I think could cause clashes down the line that we can't even predict right now. Your town sucks. It's filthy and gross. Please find me not guilty. And then let me move into the White House smack in the middle of your nasty town. I don't get it. Glenn Kirshner, help me understand this, right? Trump is going to be asking for delay after delay, saying they don't have enough time. They got to get their head around this. But at the same time, he's going to have a jam-packed campaign schedule. Can he really say to the judge, I cannot make it? Because I'm going to be in Tuscaloosa at a rally. Yeah, he can say I don't have time for these pesky criminal trials because I'm busy trying to, you know, uh, uh, get back into the White House. So perhaps I can get rid of my federal criminal cases altogether. I I think he's met his match in Judge Tanya Chutkin. I know her most directly from when I was trying murder cases against her across the street from federal court in D.C. Superior Court. And I'll tell you, I would say she was a worthy opponent. I think I'd have to ask whether I was a worthy opponent to her. She's a strong, smart, tactically savvy, and entirely honorable, trustworthy opponent and defense attorney. I've been in her courtroom watching her preside over criminal cases more recently. I think Trump and his defense team have met their match. I think she is going to um, set a speedy trial. It wouldn't surprise me if we saw a trial not long after the first of the year. I think some of the other trials that Donald Trump has on his schedule may take a back seat, like uh, D.A. Bragg's prosecution that's set for, I believe, March, like E. Jean Carroll's second civil trial. Civil trials almost always take a back seat to criminal trials, particularly federal criminal trials. So I, I do not think um, he will get 
a particularly warm, welcoming reception from uh, Judge Chutkin. She will be strong. She will be fair. She will be independent. And she will move this case along quickly is my expectation. Glenn Kirshner said it yesterday. She don't play. Glenn Thrush, Katie Benner, Glenn Kirshner, great to have you all starting us off on this Friday night. When we come back, Ron DeSantis goes further than ever before in rejecting Trump's election lies. But the former president is still way ahead of the Florida governor in the all-important state of Iowa. John Allen and Reed Galen are here on all of it. And later, Lizzo responds to the hostile workplace allegations from former backup dancers. We will break down what is being said and what it all means for the superstar. The 11th hour just getting underway on a busy Friday. Hi, everyone. It's Katie Fang. Did you know my weekly show on MSNBC is now available as a podcast? With my decades of experience as a trial lawyer, you'll get an insider's perspective on all things legal. At a time when politics and the law are inextricably intertwined, my guests and I break down what's next and why it matters both inside and outside the courtroom. Search for The Katie Fang Show wherever you're listening and follow. What if millions of black Americans had been compensated for slavery? Join me, Tremaine Lee, as I explore the untold story of one of the only black Americans who ever was. I talk to his descendants and discuss how reparations forever change their family's trajectory and imagine a reality where reparations are paid to the rest of black America. Into America presents Uncounted Millions, The Power of Reparations, a Black History Month series. All episodes available now. We are a little more than five months away from the Republican Iowa caucuses, the first contest of the 2024 primary season. But Donald Trump has a lot more dates than that to worry about. Just take a look at his calendar of political and legal events heading into next year. The Iowa caucuses are the same day as the second defamation trial in the E. Jean Carroll case. So let's discuss. I've got John Allen here, senior national politics reporter and great friend of mine from NBC, and Reed Galen, co-founder of The Lincoln Project. He has worked on a number of GOP campaigns, including John McCain, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and George W. Bush. Reed, here's my question. Are Republicans basically trapped with Donald Trump at this point? He's never going to drop out of the race. He's running for his life, for his freedom. And at the very least, Mm -hmm. if he wasn't running, he's never going to tell his supporters to back anyone but him. So either he has to be the nominee or he's going to spoil it for them. I think you hit the nail on the head. They made a deal with the devil, as I think I might have even said on your show before. And now they're stuck with him. As you said, no one can beat him probably in a primary election. If someone, by some miracle, Stephanie, were to, he would tell his 30%, 35% of the Republican base nationally, these people are, you know, they're out to get me. They're part of the deep state, whatever it is. Don't vote for any of them. You vote for me or you just stay home. And what happens? Republicans lose more and more and more. They have made this deal and they're stuck with it. It's a catch-22 from start to finish. And here's the other part too, is that Even if some let's say that he made a deal with Jack Smith, I won't run again. What's everybody going to want? They're going to want his endorsement. So no matter what, the poison of Donald Trump is with the GOP for some time to come. John, what do you think? There's this sort of romantic 
um, notion floating out there that more moderate Republicans are going to pull together and they're going to step forward. But those moderate Republicans are going to get tagged as the establishment and Trump's base despises them. You need look no further, Stephanie, than the box that Ron DeSantis is in right now. He's been uh, watching his poll numbers fall. We saw him uh, today start to change his uh, tune a little bit. I think we're going to talk about that a little bit more, but change his tune a little bit on whether the election was legitimate in 2020. But the more he goes to the center, the more he's going to alienate that Trump base that he would need to cut into. The more he goes toward the base, and we've already seen this with him, he alienates the big donors he needs to make himself uh, viable and alienates the moderates that you're talking about, the people who are anti-Trump voters uh, who wanted to go to him and uh, now think that he's been too extreme. So uh, we're watching this in real time that there, there is not a lot of oxygen on the Republican side if you're not Donald Trump. You know what there else isn't a lot of time. Reid, you have worked on campaigns. What in the world is it going to be like for Trump and his team to manage all of these court dates and a campaign? Well, you see, this is it's a good question, Stephanie, because here's the thing is like his campaigns have always been a disaster. His 2016 campaign, though he won, was probably the worst managed campaign in living memory. Uh, 2020 was bad. Remember, they were basically out of money by October. And this one will be just as bad. Now, you've got people like Chris Lasavita and Susie Wiles who are working to contain the crazy for now. But as you put up on that calendar, right when we came back from the break, they had now have to dodge the political calendar and the legal calendar. And these two will weave in and out of one another, not just in the terms of timing, but also in the terms of one another. The politics and the legal will come together. They will split apart. But here's the thing, too, is that it's not just for him. Every time there's a debate that he doesn't show up for, right, like we're going to see here in Milwaukee in a few weeks, the question is going to be, will you support Donald Trump? The question is going to be, do you believe Donald Trump won the 2020 election? Do you believe he should be prosecuted? He is everywhere all the time with these people. And so are they going to have time? They'll have time. The question is, are they going to have money? Now, I would say this is, you know, he's been paying his lawyers, which is unusual for Donald Trump. It wouldn't surprise me if he's you know, going to ask for you know, a hamburger today that he can pay for tomorrow with his legal teams. And before you know it, like those legal bills go away and he just doesn't pay anybody. I'm confident they will find the money. There are dark corners all over this planet. He'll find the cash. All right. I want both of you to weigh in on this one. John, to you first. I am amazed this week. The Republican spin and sound machine is so loud and unified within days, blasting Joe Biden, blasting Hunter Biden, claims to drown out the Trump indictment. Sure, maybe he's a criminal, but Biden is, too. What can Democrats do to combat this? Because the lion's share of this spin is factually incorrect, but it's it's like a tidal wave. Right. Well, when you're explaining in politics, and uh, you know this well, Stephanie, and Reid knows it well, too, when you're explaining, you're losing. When you're defending that position uh, entirely and spending your time doing that, it's a distraction from the things that the Democrats actually want to talk about. It's a distraction from the achievements that Biden's had. Uh, it's a distraction from actually what you haven't seen yet, which may eventually come, which is a platform for Joe Biden for 2024, 
Uh, and it's a distraction from what's going on uh, that is not weaponization or politicization, but the legal cases against Donald Trump, which are uh, news. And of course, we've seen three indictments so far, and I think most of us are anticipating a fourth in Georgia. So, um, you know, I think the answer for Democrats is for Joe to Biden to perform well, to articulate well what he's done, but more importantly, to articulate a vision for the country that inspires voters. Reid, how do you think Democrats should combat this? Um, you know, I think one thing that Democrats sometimes have trouble with, Stephanie, is utilizing the levers of power that they have. This is not only the president and the White House and the vice president, but it's the entire cabinet. It's the entire apparatus of the Democratic Party. Everyone who can leave Washington, D.C. and get out to a target state or a target precinct or a target county should be out. It's August. No one wants to be in Washington anyway, right? It's an awful place in the summer. Get out there. Start talking to voters now. Toot your own horn. As John noted, the president has had incredible bipartisan success with a barely functional Republican Party. And so take all of those assets you have that are in the box right now, pull them out and get them out. Get them out into the states and start talking to voters, start talking to the media. If you've passed an infrastructure bill, pick up a shovel and start rebuilding a bridge, whatever the case might be. But they can tell the story in a lot of different places. You know why? Because although you and I are talking, you guys are in New York or wherever we all are, regular human beings are getting ready for their kids to go back to school. They were finishing up their vacations. The last thing in the world they really want to do is think about what's going on in Washington. They're not reading the Washington Post. They're not reading the New York Times. They're reading the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel or the Detroit News or whatever their local newspaper is. Make news there and you're going to get the attention of voters. Reed, you are very, very lucky that you didn't finish that by saying they are not watching MSNBC because if you had... I would never night for good, my friend. I would never say <laughs> Reed that. Galen, John Allen. Great to see you both. OK, when we come back, it is the conversation I have been dying to have all week. Lizzo, known for embracing body positivity, and now she is positively in a hot mess with some of her former dancers accusing her of weight shaming them. And they're taking her to court over it when the 11th hour continues. I have been waiting days to talk about this. For the first time, music superstar Lizzo is talking about the lawsuit filed against her by three of her former dancers. She denies the claims of sexual harassment and a hostile work environment, calling them unbelievable and outrageous. My colleague Joe Fryer has a closer look at what she's being accused of. Lizzo's hit songs are often accompanied by messages of body positivity. Watch out for the big girls. While promoting her Emmy-winning reality show, Watch Out for the Big Girls, Lizzo told today she was looking for dancers who match that message. I finally had the platform to do an open call audition for girls who look like me. But in a new lawsuit filed by three former dancers, Lizzo was accused of weight shaming. One of the dancers, Ariana Davis, says Lizzo called attention to her weight gain with thinly veiled concerns, though she never explicitly stated it. I just had this feeling that they had a problem with the way I was gaining weight. Davis filed the suit with Crystal Williams and Noel Rodriguez. They allege that at an after party at a strip club in Amsterdam, where sexually explicit acts were taking place on stage, Lizzo began inviting cast members to take turns touching the performers. I briefly touched the performer. I was very mortified. Everyone burst into laughter. It's something Davis says she didn't want to do, but felt pressured to do. I did not ask for it. Um, I said no multiple times. 
According to the suit, the dancers also allege Lizzo falsely accused them of drinking alcohol before shows, and because of that, they were forced to audition for their jobs again. She would pick and choose when she wanted to be professional and when she wanted things to be personal. Both Williams and Davis say they were fired this past spring while Rodriguez resigned. In an interview, Davis also describing an interaction with Lizzo not outlined in the lawsuit. She proceeded to say, you know, dancers get fired for gaining weight. You should basically be grateful to be here. Joining us to discuss, Christy Lee Yandoli, senior entertainment reporter for Rolling Stone. This is a shocking story for people who might not be familiar with Lizzo and her music. Can you explain her brand and how it starkly clashes with this lawsuit? Yeah, absolutely. And thanks for having me. Lizzo, for the last handful of years, has really built such a powerful brand, empowering people, mostly women, in a very body and sex positive way. Her music, her fashion, her, you know, every interview she does, she's really become this icon in pop culture, um, portraying body and sex positive messages for women everywhere. So for this lawsuit to come about and for women who work directly with her to have these kinds of allegations is such a stark contrast to her public facing image. How are her fans responding? Well, so far, people have not taken too well to the allegations nor to Lizzo's response. Um, Lizzo categorically denied everything. She also has uh, sought representation by way of Marty Singer, who historically has represented celebrities like Bill Cosby, most recently, um, you know, celebrities who are accused of sexual harassment and pretty heinous things. And I think so far it was reported that. She's lost 150,000 fans on Instagram. Um, Also, most noticeably, I should say most notably, Beyonce, who is currently touring and has a great relationship with Lizzo Pryor, has removed her name that she usually mentions in her Break My Soul remix, um, obviously trying to distance herself from Lizzo. So people are not taking too well, again, from this stark contrast and dichotomy in Lizzo's public-facing image compared to what people are learning allegedly happened behind the scenes. The fact that Beyonce would drop Lizzo's name from her lyrics so quickly, what does that say? Is it that um, there is something valid to these claims It was known in the dance community? You would think if that's your girl, if you are close enough, if you like her enough to put her in your song, you might not drop her day one. I can't speak to what is known in the dance community, but I just think in this climate and in, you know, with the Internet and the way that people are holding celebrities and abuse of power to account, I'm not surprised that Beyonce or anyone would really want to distance themselves from Lizzo. If it could hurt, I mean, Beyonce's on tour. (laughs) If it could hurt her image to include Lizzo's name in a lyric. I mean, these are pretty serious allegations. You know, obviously the weight shaming and the body shaming is not great. Um, But in addition to that, the sexual harassment and misconduct allegations are pretty serious. So I, I could see why someone famous would not want to be aligned with that. 
Um, how about other dancers who are currently or formerly working with her, employees, anyone else come out for or against Lizzo or, or these plaintiffs here? So um, after the allegations from her three former dancers, um, a filmmaker and director who worked with Lizzo a couple years ago, I think back in 2019, came out and said that she also quit working on the documentary two weeks after working with Lizzo because she felt like Lizzo also fostered this toxic workplace environment. She was very unhappy to be there. She felt disrespected and mistreated after, again, only two weeks of working with her. Um, the director came out and said that she wanted to share her experience to support other Black women who are speaking out about this. She didn't want to be silent, which is something you see in news cycles like this and in stories of this nature. Usually there's power and safety in numbers. If you are a victim or an alleged victim of this kind of behavior, you see other people speaking out. You feel a little bit safer coming forward. So, you know, this one director did, which you know, may or may not help corroborate these dancers' experiences. And again, you kind of never know if there are other alleged victims, they might see that and feel more empowered to continue to come forward. So while this has been unfolding for a few days, we may be at the beginning of, you know, what else is to come. We'll soon find out. Christy, thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate it. Before Thanks we go to break, me. though, I want you to know it is not all bad news in the music industry this week. Definitely not for Swifties. In fact, Swift's, I can't even say it, Swift Miss came early this year. People Magazine is reporting that Taylor Swift herself gave a massive thank you to the folks that make her shows possible in the form of bonuses totally more then $55 million. The bonuses were handed out to the entire Eras tour crew, that is dancers, sound technicians, caterers, and for her truckers, a whopping $100,000 each with a handwritten note from Taylor herself. The owner of one of those trucking companies called it, quote, life-changing. That is some good karma, if you asked me. Coming up, three criminal indictments in just four months with possibly another on the way. How will this week be remembered in the history books? Our good friend John Meacham is here when the 11th hour continues. The attack on our nation's capital on January 6th, 2021, was an unprecedented assault on the seat of American democracy. As described in the indictment, it was fueled by lies. This is a persecution of a political opponent. This was never supposed to happen in America. This is the persecution of the person that's leading by very, very substantial numbers in the Republican primary and leading Biden by a lot. So if you can't beat him, you persecute him or you prosecute him. Whew. This has been yet another historic week in America. President Donald J. Trump racking up a third indictment, this time over his efforts to overturn the 2020 election. So let's discuss with our favorite historian, John Meacham, who occasionally advises President Biden. He is also the author of the book. And then there was light, Abraham Lincoln and the American struggle. John, let's actually start by tying your most recent book to this week that we're having a quote from your book about Abraham Lincoln and what it took for him to achieve progress in a difficult time. What is similar to this period of American history, Abraham Lincoln's period? to what we're seeing today? 
an intrinsic division of opinion, not simply about the means of politics, which is an understandable argument, but the ends of politics itself. What are we in civil society for? This sounds very grand, uh, but it's a grand week. It's an important week. Uh, a lot of times Donald Trump seems soap operatic. This is actually operatic. You know, this, this is important because it's a direct assault on the fundamental insight that has shaped the country that Lincoln understood and defended, that Franklin Roosevelt did, and that presidents of both parties until now, uh, until the 45th president, uh, adhered to, which was that no single person is more important than the constitutional order in which we pick that single person. And if you send someone to the pinnacle of power whose only interest is their perpetuation in that office, then that's fatal to the whole American experiment in liberty under law. And it's not just an ideological, it's not just a grand kind of historical, uh, you know, uh, elbow patch sweater kind of thing to adhere to. It's an insight because it protects both of us. If I respect your rights, if I respect your right to vote and the winner of whomever you voted for, you are more likely to respect mine. Because if either one of us takes it away by force, then we're back into uh, what the political philosophers talked about as a state of nature, where it's just a war of all against all. And America's great role in Western life has in many ways been to model imperfectly, imperfectly, but it has in fact modeled this idea that the law is so important because it protects us from our own appetites and ambitions. Democracy has been tested over the last few years, right? When we think about Trump um, yeah. pushing the election lies, uh, wanting to overturn the election, it didn't work. When you think about the attack on the Capitol on January 6th, scores of those insurrectionists are sitting in jail right now. But now here we are with these massive charges, right? He is being charged with conspiring to defraud the United States of America and still Republicans all over Capitol Hill are saying, yeah, but Hunter Biden went to a state dinner. Are you worried that this time democracy really is on the line? I think democracy is always on the line. I think that to go back to Lincoln for a second, a slightly different military result in Gettysburg in the early summer days of 1863. And we're in a different world altogether. Abraham Lincoln decides to do different things about emancipation. Slavery lasts arguably into the 20th century. This is a contingent, conditional enterprise we're engaged in. It's this perennial struggle between our better angels and our worst instincts. And it's an entirely human undertaking. I find the whataboutism that you allude to to be utterly unconvincing uh, and it proves to me a lot more about the genuine motives and interests of those who make the argument. Uh, I believe that as I'm, I'm, I'm not a Democrat, as you alluded, President Biden's my friend. I try to help him when, when I can. I don't agree with him on a uh, significant number of policy questions. But my God, he's standing in the breach between chaos and a constitutional order that, again, however imperfect, 
at least gives us a chance to solve our differences peaceably for a time. And so I believe it's an extraordinary moment when Americans who I know know better at some level put a partisan feeling ahead of that Constitution. And it, does, it ends up having my view of things that we're talking about ends up having a partisan effect. And that partisan effect is that I think you should have voted for Joe Biden in 2020. I think you should have voted for a Democrat in 2022. And I think you should vote for President Biden in 2024 because not because, again, of particular policies, though, though that's great if that's why you do it, but because they believe in the rule of law. And it's the left could go crazy. They could become totally unmoored from reality, but they're not at this hour. And the American right has become unmoored from reality because of their devotion to this singular figure. And that way, madness lies. And the singular figure we should all be moored to is democracy and our Constitution if we love this country. John Meacham, always good to see you, especially on a Friday night. Thank you for joining us. When we come back, if you can dream it, you can do it. An inspirational story you must stay up for. That's taking place right here in the NJ when the 11th hour continues. On the MSNBC podcast, How to Win 2024, political experts, former Senator Claire McCaskill and Democratic strategist Jennifer Palmieri examine the campaign strategies unfolding in this all-important election. The focus is on the voters that are not necessarily in your corner now. If Democrats are going to win in 2024, we have to be able to explain what is happening at the border and what the solutions are. Search for How to Win 2024 wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes every Thursday. The last thing before we go tonight, soaring to new heights. We wanted to end this very busy and serious news week by highlighting a story that shows the beauty of the human spirit overcoming physical limitations. Michael Glenn is the world's first paraplegic hot air balloon pilot, flying a specially modified balloon in festivals all around the globe. Well, our own Gary Grumbeck caught up with Michael in what I consider to be the greatest place on the globe my home state of New Jersey. Watch this. It's 6.15 on a Friday morning, and 48-year-old Michael Glenn is attending a weather briefing and getting ready to take flight at the New Jersey Lottery Festival of Ballooning alongside dozens of hot air balloon pilots. People have boats, RVs. We just happen to have a balloon. But Michael's doing it all on two wheels. Michael grew up ballooning, flying with his father and brother, He got his student pilot's license as a teenager and was working towards his private pilot's license when he was involved in a life-altering accident that had him ejected from his vehicle. As you can imagine, you know, your life literally changes overnight. Hospitalized for weeks, Michael's priorities shifted to relearning to walk. But he never lost sight of his goal, to get back in a hot air balloon and earn his pilot's license. You get into a balloon basket just a few months after your Mm -hmm. devastating accident. Did you think at that point, oh, I'm, I want to get my license? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that, that was almost instant. Yes, I want to do this. 
After being denied a license by the FAA once for being wheelchair-bound, Michael doubled down and ended up tripling the number of practice hours required for him to get licensed. Woo, that's hot. If you want to be something new, the answer is always no. You know, they're just going to say no, and you need to go out to them and prove to them. When he obtained his license in 2006, 10 years after his accident, he became the world's first paraplegic hot air balloon pilot. Just because I am in a wheelchair, it doesn't make a difference. What is different is how he flies. It's a duo chariot. It's a, it's a two-seat basket. It works perfect for me. Most balloonists like the bigger baskets because you're able to take multiple people, where this is me plus one. So if you're getting engaged or something, it'd be really romantic for you and I, and you would leave your partner down on the ground. So. Sure. <laughs> Today, Michael Glenn says he's one of five paraplegic hot air balloon pilots in the world and says three of them became pilots after meeting him. The way I live my life is I'm trying still to strive to inspire one person. I know I probably have, but in general, I still just strive for that. Just to make a difference in one person's life, to even give them a better day, make it something, show them that they can achieve anything, that's what I shoot for. A history-making pilot encouraging others to soar to new heights. Gary Grumbach, NBC News, Reddington, New Jersey. We wish you clear skies ahead, Michael. As for me, my girlfriends are waiting about five blocks away to play Yahtzee, so I'm going to sign off and wish you a very good night. From all of our colleagues across the networks of NBC News, thanks for staying up late. I'll see you at the end of Monday. Hey, it's Chris Hayes. This week on my podcast, Why Is This Happening? Evangelical pastor and director of Vote Common Good, Doug Paget, on the rise of Christian nationalism, and what's at stake in this year's election. We lack a story in this country about what our politics are supposed to achieve. And when we suggest to them that the common good can be your voting identity, rather than being Republican or being a Democrat or being fiscally this or that, big government or small government, but you care about the common good, people are like, oh yeah, that that I actually care about. That's this week on Why Is This Happening. Search for Why Is This Happening wherever you're listening right now and subscribe.